Over the course of the coming weeks, we are going to be taking a look, going back and revisiting the book of Psalms. A few years ago, I preached through it. Obviously, I've not preached 150 Psalms, and I will not do it this go-around either. But we're going to be taking a look at different passages, different, different Psalms that speak to the heart and minister. And, and the, we need to understand the book of Psalms functioned really in two different ways. One, it was Israel's hymn book. These were the songs that they sang. But it also was used as a type of prayer book as well. And so people throughout the centuries have looked. Um, I've shared with you that when I am under conviction, I will often pray Psalm 51. And when I have felt and understood the forgiveness of my Lord, I read with great joy Psalm 32. So we're going to be looking at Israel's hymn book. And as we get ready into this, I, I, have you ever noticed that some people have a talent Forgetting what they want from others. Do you, do you know such people? Maybe when you look in the mirror, you see such a person. But I can give you a hundred examples, but I'll give you just a couple. First of all, uh, babies learn very quickly the right cry that will bring mama running. Now, that's really their only way of communicating, right? So babies originally... Uh, initially start crying because they're hungry or they're wet. But there comes a moment in time that they know, if I cry, I get picked up. And so they cry a lot. And men, if you've had that significant lady in your life through <laughs> through the years, you know that there are certain looks that she can give you that can melt away your resistance. Um, when Rachel and I were dying, uh, dating, I was no longer in control of the radio dial. From that point on, we listened to the music she wanted. Now, thankfully, we listened to a lot of music that we both liked. But the volume control was completely in her hands. Uh, she would say, oh, that's too loud, turn it down. And then the song she liked came on, and boom, the volume was up. And if I went to say anything, she'd just look at me, and that caught me. Okay, honey, whatever you want. Uh, I've only in the recent years been able to control the volume in my car. And I still do what she does anyway. Um, what she wanted. Uh, and then how many ladies, how many husbands who have been in trouble have come to you, maybe not with a dozen, but they come with you with roses because they know that might get me out of the hot water. Uh, that happens quite a bit. Now, quite a few people have actually learned to try the same thing with God. Fred Lowry, pastor, longtime pastor, First Baptist Church, Bozo City, Louisiana, once spoke. He was preaching a revival in the, the church that housed our, uh, our campus site for New Orleans, the the Shreveport Center, and he talked about a little boy riding in a shopping cart, and uh, any of you who have ever taken a child shopping know, you know the I wants, right? I want this, I want that. This little boy settled on, he wanted some cookies, 
And mama was saying, no, you can't have any. We've got cookies at home. We're not getting cookies. We're going to get what's on the list. She went through the store, through every aisle. I want cookies. I want cookies. I want cookies. And she just, no, you can't have cookies. Finally, they get to the checkout. The little boy stands up in the cart, throws his hands in the air, and cried out, in the name of Jesus, I want cookies. And Fred Lowry said the boy got cookies. <laughs> well, there are people who still will try to do that. I actually had a book in my collection at one point. One of the, the chapters was entitled, God is a Blank Check. And I recently found out that this has become a popular sermon concept or writing. I actually found this image online, God wants to write you a blank check. And the idea behind it is if you know the right words and you claim them, you know the right promises of God in the word of God and you claim them, that somehow God is now obligated to give you what you want. All you have to do is say it right. Well, folks, I do not believe that God is a blank check. And I do not believe that the promises about answered prayer in the scripture are promises that mean we can twist God's arm so that he has to give it as though somehow we have to convince him to help us. The promises are there to remind us God does care. God does want to minister. God does want to give. So God isn't a blank check, and I can raise my hands all I want and say, God, change my Mitsubishi Mirage into a Porsche. And it's not going to happen. Having said that, I do want to tell you that I do believe that the Word of God indicates that there is a possibility of getting what you want from God. I believe that we can get what we want from God. And the psalmist declares this as much in Psalm 37. Now, Psalm 37 is 40 verses long. I'm not going to preach 40 verses today. And I do encourage you to go home maybe today or sometime this week. Make sure that you read the entire psalm to give an idea of what the psalmist, and it's attributed to David, was trying to get across to his people in a time of struggle and pain. But we're going to look at the first seven verses of the psalm, and pretty much for several of these verses, if you lift them completely out of the context, they are going to tell you everything that the psalm is about. So, if you will, stand as we look at Psalm, one thir- uh, Psalm 37, 1 through 7. And hear the word of the Lord. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass they will soon wither, like green plants they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteousness shine like the dawn, the justice of your cause like the noonday sun. 
Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Folks, in this passage of scripture, the psalmist is declaring that God will give his people the desires of their heart. It is a word of promise. It is a word of hope. It is a word of assurance. Because the people, and we don't know the historical context. We don't know what's going on. But Israel's having difficulty right now. And there are people out in the world that hate God and hate all of his purposes. And they're looking and they seem to be flourishing. And there is fear and there's distrust. And the psalmist is saying, don't focus on that. You need to look to your God. Now, throughout 40 verses, you can imagine there are a lot of imperatives. There are a lot of commands in this passage of Scripture. But today I want to look at four particular commands found in the text that I've just read for you. Four commands that are key to us coming to the place of getting what we want from God, having our desires filled in the purpose of the Lord. So we're going to look at those and try to understand how important these commands are. So let's begin. The very first command, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. So don't, be, don't worry about the evildoers. Don't worry about the wicked people. You trust in God. You see, what David is doing here, he's not just saying every once in a while, put your faith. David actually called for faith in the living God throughout life. You need to trust in God. In the face of pain, he's saying, God is your only hope. In the midst of the world that seems unfair, God was offering security. Trusting this would bring God's people into an active faith. He says, trust in the Lord and what? Do good. So he's saying trust him. And that idea of trust is really faith really amped up. It is actually and fully and truly understand God is with you. Count on that. In spite of everything you might see, you need to count on the fact that God is with you. The God you have committed yourself has committed himself to you. So trust him in the time of struggle. Trust him in the time of pain. Trust him when everything's going right. Trust in the Lord. Now he wrote that centuries ago. But you and I need to understand, we need to realize that this call to faith is ours today. This isn't something of a day gone by. This is here, right now. And God is saying to us, in the midst of a world that's in chaos, isn't it? Everywhere we look, we see the wicked rejoicing in their wickedness. The wicked making vast advancements. We see people doing everything they can to dishonor the purpose of God. And we need to trust God here. Our God deserves our faith. James Dobson, well-known 
for Focus on the Family, said, Trust involves letting go and knowing God will catch you. I've shared in a couple of classes, um, when Jessica was three years old, I worked at Walmart. And one of my favorite things to do when Rachel and Jessica would come to visit was take my daughter to the service desk that stood about that tall. I would set my daughter on the service desk, take two steps back, and say, jump. And Jessica would launch herself into the air. And I would catch her. And the ladies behind the desk would go, ah! Danny, don't! And Jessica would giggle, and I would giggle, and it was fun. But after a period of time, there came that moment. I put my daughter on the desk, and I stepped back and said, jump! And she looked at me like I was crazy. All those gasps and all those Danny don'ts got into her head. And all of a sudden, this little child who trusted me implicitly didn't trust me so much anymore. I've told you about the poker face. It came in real handy because inside I was bawling my eyes out. She doesn't trust me. Well, we need to understand. I like Dobson's image because it resonates in my heart. We can jump into the arms of God knowing he catches us. And nowhere is this scene more completely than in his redemptive act of Jesus Christ. I've shared with you so many times, when you come to doubt, if you ever come doubting whether or not God loves you, Paul spells it out in Romans 5.8. God proved his love to us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't wait for us to get our act together. He didn't wait for us to be good, nice, church-going people. At our worst, Christ died for us. And that's the love of God. Keeping the victory of God, Christ's atoning work in our minds can cause our faith to be victorious even when the world seems to be falling apart. But there's one other aspect I do have to call us back to. Our faith, like Israel's, must be translated into action. David combines two thoughts here. Trust in the Lord and do good. Now, I'm not talking about work salvation. By now, you should know. I don't believe we can earn it. But I am telling you, true faith, real trust, will produce good works. So if I'm trusting in God, if I'm trusting in my Christ, it has an impact in the way I live. William Barclay wrote, middle of last century, faith without practice is a contradiction. James put it much more bluntly, faith without works is dead. So our trust in God is to manifest itself in the way we live. In the midst of a world in chaos and fear, you, people of God, trust him. Trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust that he knows how to handle your situation. Trust. But then comes a command that we would not ordinarily see. The next command, delight in the Lord. Delight in him. Now that word delight is as delightful as it sounds. It's a nice word. It's a 
beautiful word. Let your joy be in him. Let him give you meaning. Let him give you richness. Delight in him. You see, when David says this to a people who are struggling, David wanted them to understand. As we delight in the Lord, David wrote that the followers of God should take their joy in their relationship with the Lord. The world has so many things that says, this will make you happy. This will fulfill you. This will give you purpose. And the psalmist is saying, delight in the Lord. He is what will give your life joy. He is what will give your life meaning. He is what will give your life purpose. It's a sad thing to see love that's grown cold. Whether it is the love of a friendship or a love between a couple who have pledged their hearts to each other. But at some point in time, two people meet, they become fast friends, they enjoy each other's company, they, they have the same similar humor, everything is going well. But somewhere down the line, their friendship begins to pull apart. And they may not be able to put a finger on it, they may not be able to say that's what ended it, that's what caused us to grow apart. Perhaps it happened because you take each other for granted. I am so incredibly happy that my son-in-law has developed a really good dad humor. I love it. And he and I, the two weeks I was over in uh, Texas with my family, we were both trying to see how much we could make the kids groan. And that includes Jessica, because she's still my kid. I love that. But what if, you know, I just take for granted, he's a dad, he should know humor. Well, Sometimes we take the people we love for granted. Sometimes we quit showing regard for each other's feelings. Sometimes in relationships it becomes what I want and what I need. And we begin to focus on me. Whatever the reason, relationships drift apart. And it doesn't have to take a catastrophic thing to do so. But this is also what sometimes happens in a walk with God. People of faith begin taking him for granted. We think that God is somehow obligated not only to answer our prayers, but answer them the way we think they should be. And if he really loves us, he'll give me what we want. You would have been very hard-pressed to find a philosophical atheist in ancient Israel. A philosophical atheist is that person who has looked at the evidence and said, you know, I've weighed everything and I've looked and I just don't believe God exists. That did not really exist in the ancient Mideast. What you would have found was thousands upon thousands of practical atheists. People who say, I believe in God, but live as though they don't. The people of the northern kingdom, Israel, when the kingdom divided, the northern kingdom immediately began idol worship. Didn't help that their, their new king put an idol in the south and in the north of the kingdom. But all of the kings of Israel, the northern kingdom, were involved in idol worship. The people in southern Judah got to the place that they really didn't care what the will of God was. How do I know that? Because God sent prophet after prophet, after prophet, calling them to repent. And they said, we don't need to repent, we have the temple. 
God's on our side. We'll do well. We're going to do everything we need. God will help us. They took God for granted, but God's love for them was steadfast. And even when discipline came, even when God had to use another nation to discipline his children, it was for the purpose of bringing them back. He loved them. So the psalmist is reminding them when he says, delight in the Lord, you have ample reason to take delight in the Lord God of Israel because he loves you. He has pledged himself to you and he will carry you through. Well, us today, we need to become absorbed with knowing the Lord. Now I want to point something out to you. Nowhere in the text that I read did the word to know show up, did it? So why would I say when I'm talking about delighting in the Lord... We need to be absorbed in knowing him. It's really not that tough to figure out. Think about it a moment. How can you delight in someone you don't know? How can you build a relationship with somebody that you don't know? How can you truly say you love the Lord if he isn't real to you? How can I say delight in the Lord when the only time I hear about God is on a Sunday morning or some other day in the week in a Bible school, Bible study? If you've had someone in your life you truly love, and most of us could say this, there's been somebody in your life, whether it was a friendship or romantic, whatever it is, children, parents, when you really love somebody, you love spending time with them, don't you? And it's fun to discover the things they like. And it's fun to talk about it. And you grow and you spend. You wanted to spend time with them. Uh, Rachel lived 21 miles from my house. I knew exactly how long it could get there. One quarter of a mile down up the road, it would have been a local call. She lived one quarter a mile into long distance. And so I could only call her once a week. Now, there are a whole lot of you who will have no idea what I'm talking about, but there are some of you who will. Not only was she long distance, it was on a party line. And those of you who know what a party line know, okay, it's really hard to tell your sweetie, I love you, baby, when the little old lady down the street is listening. So I was miserable. I could only call her once. Now they did give me a good, I could call her. I could actually talk to her 20 minutes, which was amazing. So I handled it by getting her a job at the place I worked. Because I wanted to be near her. Folks, I know of no way better of coming to the light in the Lord than spending time with him. Within his word and in prayer. And I'm not talking about, Lord, thank you for this food, use the nourishment of my body. Real prayer, talking to him, sharing with him what's going on in your heart and your mind, your fears as well as your joys. Speaking with him, going into his word. And as we get to know him more, we begin to love him better. 
and we begin to delight in him. And as we learn to truly enjoy the Lord, our hearts are being prepared to receive his richest blessings. A lot of people, when they look at the Bible, all they see are thou shalt nots. That's all they see. I had a cousin who once told me, I believe a bunch of old men got together and said, what can we do to make everybody miserable? I know, we'll write a Bible. Thou shalt not. But folks, it's so much richer than what we think. Keep in mind, every time God says don't do that, it's because he loves us. Not because he's wanting to spoil our fun. Warren Wiersbe, one of the, I just wish I wrote this. Okay, God's will is not a duty, it's a delight. The Christian delights to discover the will of God and then obey from the heart. The will of God is his nourishment. When I come to know God loves me, then I come to know even the tough things I don't want to hear come from his love. Forgive so that you can be forgiven. Augustine, centuries ago, one of my favorite devotional works, the Confessions of Augustine, said, You awake us to delight in your praise, for you have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. There's an emptiness in us until we come to know our Creator. And unless we're growing in that knowledge that hunger can still be very powerfully real, like, God, I am miserable. Well, part of it may be we've not learned to delight in him because we haven't focused on how much he loves us and what he's done for us. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight in him. And then we hear, commit to the Lord. Now, I know this sounds a whole lot like trust, but we're going to kind of, there's a slight nuance here. And again, when David tells the people, commit to the Lord, he's not saying, on this Sabbath, when you give your sacrifice to God, then, you know, that, you know, that's all you ever need to do. This day of atonement, one last sacrifice and you're okay. David called for a life of commitment. Now, if you read this psalm in its entirety, as I hope you will, preferably today, but sometime this week, you'll see that the people of God were tormented by the wickedness and trials at the hands of others. And I have no doubt that the people of God, because this is a commonality with people, through the centuries, as the people of God, seeking to love God, seeking to follow Him, have found opposition and trial, undoubtedly they felt it was unfair. It's not right. It's not, this shouldn't be happening to us. We serve God. And it's not just these folks at this moment. Asaph was one of the leaders of Israel's worship. I'm about to read a lengthy passage from Psalm 73, and I want you to listen carefully. And I want you to listen with the heart. Has that ever been me? Again, we don't know the circumstances. But Asaph wrote, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 13 of Psalm 73 uh, to begin with. 
Actually, I'll read through 14. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. So he begins, I know you're good, God. But then, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts come iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice in their arrogance. They threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like, always carefree. They increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every moment. Asaph is tormented by what he sees in the wicked. And I have no doubt that the people of Israel and David, what he's referencing, they are tormented. And it is to people who are saying, what's the point? Why should I serve God? Look at all these people prospering in their wickedness. David writes and says, Commit yourself to the Lord. And that word literally means roll your way upon the Lord. Give Him your fear. Give Him your pain. Give Him your struggle. That word commitment means, yes, to trust, but it means to dedicate and trust entirely to a specific person. I am committed to this person. And in the case Psalm 37, David is saying the one you own your ultimate commitment to is the Lord God Almighty. Now I'm not going to leave you hanging with Asaph because that would be unkind. Because Asaph remembered. In verse 15 he said, If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. He said, if I talked like this out loud, and remember, he's a worship leader. If he got up in a worship service, there's no point. He would have betrayed the people he was trying to serve. He was oppressed. And then he said, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. When I sought the Lord, I came to understand. What's the point? I am a covenant child of God. And he will deal with the wicked. And he will always love his children. David was calling his people, hold nothing back from God. Give everything you are. It's not like, Lord, I give 90% of my life over to you. I just want this one little section for me. David is saying, commit everything you are. 
And it is still true today. We are to give all of our lives to God. Every aspect of life needs to be surrendered. Not just my Sunday mornings, my Wednesday nights, my times of getting together at the coffee shop and talking about Jesus occasionally. Every aspect of my life. Here's where it gets tough. Those wicked people, those people who are living outside of the will of God, who plague us, who who mock us, who say all manner of unkind things about us, our rights to hate them were surrendered at the cross. And the way I look at the people out there who do not love my Jesus needs to be committed to God's hands. Jesus pointed out the truth of total commitment to the Father. To God alone. In the Sermon on the Mount. He said the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. I want to reference the King James right here. King James says, if your, eye be, if your eyes be single. And with the idea, if your eyes are good, the focus is... You're focused on one thing, single vision. You see clearly what God wants for you. To look at Him. Then Jesus says, if your eyes are bad, you've got double vision, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And then He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, don't go, okay, I don't don't serve money. I don't have enough money to serve. Folks, that's just the example. Did you catch? You can't serve two masters. And the master most of us tend to serve when it's not God, guess who it is? Ourselves. And Christ was saying, you've got to come and commit yourself. And this isn't something you can do one Sunday out of your life. This is a daily commitment. God, help me live for you today. Let your love flow through me today. May I respond to those who hate you with love today. Help me. A.W. Tozer, another of my favorites, said, True faith commits us to obedience. So what we must understand, what we've got to see, when David says, trust in the Lord, delight in the Lord, and now commit to the Lord, we must understand that life reaches fulfillment by choosing the road that leads into commitment to Christ. I will never be fulfilled. I will never have my purpose mean anything more than just existence until I'm ready to say, I want to follow you, Lord. I want to be committed to you in everything that I am and everything that I do. Let me be committed. Because it is only in commitment that we can find peace with God. It is only as I say, Lord, I want to receive what you've done for me in Christ. I want to live for you. And the peace of God becomes a reality when by faith I commit myself and receive the grace of God. It is only in commitment that we find real purpose. 
Because suddenly even stocking oil at Walmart or being behind a register at a fast food store or serving a table can become something special. If I'm committed to living for God, everything I do can be done to His glory. So we're told, trust God. Understand He's dependable. Delight in God. Let Him be your joy. Commit to God. And give everything that you are to God. And then the final command I want to share with you. Be still in the Lord. Be still in the Lord. We opened up this service with a word from Isaiah. You will keep those in perfect peace whose minds are stayed on you. Who are looking toward you. You see, David had an important truth for those uneasy in heart. For those who were struggling, for those who were in fear, for those who were in so much pain. He said, don't fret about them out there. Don't fret about those who are wicked, those who are doing the wrong. Don't worry about them. Wait for God. Be still and wait upon the Lord. In other words, you let God deal with them. You seek His face. You see, if Israel allowed their hearts to be filled with anger and seek to strike out in that hatred and anger, it would only wind up giving them evil in their own hearts. It's the same way. When Jesus says, turn the other cheek, one of the hard sayings of Jesus, it's not that he wants us to have two bad hurting cheeks. He knows that when I give in to my anger and my hatred, it does something to me. And that affects my walk with God. David called for hearts that would rest in the Lord. Wait upon Him. In stillness, they were to wait upon God to act. And the thrust is this whole psalm, everything about it says, when you trust in God, the way of God will be vindicated. There is so much anger and hatred in our world today. Um, it's hard for me to even open a news app anymore because there's just so much wicked behavior. And if I'm not careful, I allow that to seep into my spirit. And I begin to speak not so much as a person who hears Paul say, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. I don't hear my Jesus say, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. What I want to hear is eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. And John puts it as plainly as he can in his first letter, you cannot love God whom you can't see if you hate your brother who's right there. 
Folks, we need to hear the call for stillness and rest. Life is terribly frustrating. Our worries and our fears are understandable. When you look at the world, I understand the idea I want to run away and hide from everybody. But a heart that is truly committed and trusting can begin to find a peace that is available only to the heart that is trusting. Only the heart that is committed to God. The world can't understand. That's why Paul says, talks about a peace that transcends understanding. David Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Man was made by God in such a way that he can only be at peace within himself when he is at peace with God. He's echoing Augustine. You made us for yourself and our hearts are always going to be restless until we finally find rest in you. Blaise Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of man and nothing but God will fill that vacuum. So when the psalmist says, be still and wait on God, he's telling them what he's telling us. We need to know the love of God. And we need to breathe and listen. I believe there is strength in the peace that God offers. Centuries ago, Julian of Norwich wrote peace reigns where our Lord reigns that's why there is strength in peace because God reigns he is a king he is creator he is sustainer of the universe and if we are in his kingdom his strength can become our strength to deal with these issues his peace comes with us The peace of God now becomes peace from God in the midst of the struggle. Think about it. Paul and Silas were arrested in in Ephesus because they were preaching the gospel and a riot broke out. I love that story. A riot breaks out and Paul and Silas go to jail. And we're told in the nighttime hours they were singing. And they were not singing, nobody knows the troubles I've seen. They're singing praises. And they're delivered. They are delivered. Much later, Paul is in a prison cell again. It's time it's Rome. And he's writing to the beloved church Philippi. The book of Philippians is the most intensely personal, loving letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament. He loved those people. And they were having a hard time. And to those people, Paul wrote that passage that we've talked about a lot. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is in prison. And he is going to be executed 
for his faith. And he's concerned about a little church in Philippi over in Macedonia. And he says, when you're worried and when you're scared, don't give in. But go to the God who loves you and tell him everything that's going on. Let your request be made known to him and he will hear and he will respond and he will give you peace. And Paul writes that hoping to be released but knowing he probably won't. And the Apostle Paul knew about peace that transcends understanding. It's a peace that can be ours. So friends, I believe the secret of getting what you want from God is wrapped up in these commands. To trust, to delight, to commit, to be still. Those four commands are keys to us getting what we want. But here's the kicker. This is the real secret. When I trust God, when I delight in my Lord, when I commit my way to Him no matter what, when I am still before Him, trusting Him, The secret of getting what you want really is when we do these things, our wants will change. Our desires begin to change. This isn't, well, if you just trust in God, He'll give you the best car money can buy. If you trust in God, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. If you trust God, that A, B, and C, whatever you think is important. All of a sudden, what I want corresponds to what he wants for me. I am changed by doing these things. I am changed because I've opened myself up to God and what he wants to do in my life. My wants, my desires are not only my own desires anymore. When our wills become what God wills for us, we will find that He will give us the desires of our hearts. Because suddenly the things that may seem terribly important to me are now seen in perspective. The most important things, Lord, I want to live for you. I want my life to shine light in a dark world. I want to touch somebody for Jesus. I want to live in such a way that people are drawn to my Lord, not to me. All of a sudden, my wants change. So this morning I ask you, are you trusting in the Lord? Is your delight found in serving Him? Do you delight? Are you just overwhelmed with love for God and wanting to be what He wants you to be? Are you finding joy in God?
Have you committed your life into his hands? Lord, I want you to take everything I am. And again, this is not only a one-time commitment. Can you be still? Can you rest in his peace? If your answer is no to any of those questions, the next few moments are for you. It may be that you have never committed yourself into the hands of Christ. You may never have declared him to be Lord in your life. You have never received the salvation that is offered you. This morning, I would love to talk to you about that. I would love to talk to you about what it means to become a child of God. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed, every eye closed at this time. Please honor the people here and don't look around. But if you don't know him, you can know him today. And I would love to tell you about that. I'd love to do so right now. And, and if you have the heart to, then you can stand up and make your way down here and we'll talk. I would love to talk with you out there. But today, these commands are calling out. Trust him. And you will find that he is trustworthy. Delight in him and you will find a joy that this world cannot give you. Commit yourself to him. And know that this is the way to what Christ called a life more abundant. Be still before him. Listen to him. And wait upon his will for you. You may be here today and you are a child of God, but somewhere along the way, you've drifted. Your level of commitment has weakened. Maybe again you've taken God for granted. Maybe he didn't answer that prayer just the way you wanted him to. But the call is coming out to you as well. I'd love to talk with you as well. And if it is your prayer that I want to be more committed, I want to trust. I want him to be my delight. I want to have what it means to be still and wait upon him. And you'd like me to pray with you. You can just slip your hand up right now. Thank you. Thank you. This is your time. Make the most of it.